0: Welcome to episode 327 of the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. If you want to burn fat, gain energy, and enhance your health by changing when you eat, not what you eat, with no calorie counting, then this show is for you. I'm Melanie Avalon, biohacker, author of What, When, Wine, and creator of the supplement line Avalon X. And I'm here with my co-host... Vanessa Spina, sports nutrition specialist, author of Keto Essentials, and creator of the Tone Breath Ketone Analyzer and Tone Lux Red Light Therapy Panels. For more on us, check out ifpodcast.com, melanieavalon.com, and ketogenicgirl.com. Please remember, the thoughts and opinions on this show do not constitute medical advice or treatment. To be featured on the show, email us your questions to questions at ifpodcast.com. We would love to hear from you. So pour yourself a mug of black coffee, a cup of tea, or even a glass of wine, if it's that time, and get ready for the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. Hi, friends. I'm about to tell you how to get three pounds of organic chicken thighs, two pounds of grass-fed, grass-finished ground beef, or one pound of premium grass-fed, grass-finished steak tips, all for free, plus $20 off. That's right. We're talking pounds of meat for free, plus $20 off. Friends, I love meat and seafood. My favorite way to get it is ButcherBox. It has been for years, and it's one of those things where I just sort of become more and more obsessed the more I use it, especially with all the greenwashing that's going on today with meat and seafood. There's a lack of transparency. It can be hard to know what you're actually getting, and it can be expensive. ButcherBox addresses all of that. to choose your free offer and get that $20 off. ButcherBox.com slash IFpodcast with code IFpodcast. And we'll put all this information in the
1: show notes. New customers can use the code CLEANFORALL20 for 20% off their first order. Beautycounter.com slash Vanessa Spina. All right, friends. Now back to the show. Hi, everybody, and
0: welcome. This is episode number 327 of the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. I'm Melanie Avalon, and I'm here with Vanessa Spina. Hello, everyone. And Vanessa, how is life in Colorado?
1: It's just so Amazing and awesome to be like podcasting with you during the day. <laughs> it feels so good. I like for both of us is much better times. Like it's early afternoon for me, mid afternoon for you. So it just feels really good that I'm like looking out the window. There's blue skies. It's bright and sunny. <laughs> it's not dark outside. It just feels really good. So yeah, coming to you from the Mile High City. Which city are you in? So, we're just in Denver, a little bit outside Denver. So, I'm looking at the beautiful Rocky Mountains from the view of the office here. And it's it's beautiful. It's it's just amazing here. Yeah. I was looking at pictures on your
0: Instagram. First of all, the house looks really beautiful and you could see out through the window. It seemed like elevated the room that you were in with the birthday party dinner.
1: Yeah. We're a little bit elevated up here and yeah, it's really nice views all around. Like just Colorado is so open. It's so different from, from Prague I guess cause we're more in the city, but everywhere you look, it's just like everything's just like wide open, like big, big spaces. Everything's big. Everyone has like huge homes. We call them like little castles because like in Czech, everyone lives in like smaller spaces, you know, because there's way less space. Like everything's just like on steroids here. Like it's just the contrast. You don't really realize it until you leave. And then you haven't been back in a couple years. And then you're like, wow, like, everything is so different here. <laughs> it's another world. I love it. And
0: I was listening to one of your episodes and I heard your story about craving brisket. <laughs> oh my gosh,
1: yes. It's like number one on my list when we're back in the US. It's so good. And Luca was not so much a fan. Yeah, he loves brisket like smoked meat and especially beef. And it's pretty easy to chew for him as well. Like much easier than steak because it's is broken down. But like my number one thing, whenever we were at KetoCon, you know, would be to go to Terry Black's, which is across from the place where they host the conference. And they have the most amazing brisket there and we have like barbecue American style barbecue places in Prague, but there's nothing like the real thing. So I was like really excited to get to have some while we were here. It was, yeah, it was a huge treat.
0: Another question for you. Cause I think this will relate to a lot of listeners. So you had an adorable birthday party for Luca just this weekend. Yeah. A couple of days ago. Well, okay. Well, first of all, what did he think about the cake?
1: Yeah, it was so much fun. So we—he's turning two, and we did a blend for themes. We had Choo Choo trains because he's obsessed with Choo Choo's, and that was like his main gift was a, a train set, and also Cocoa Melon. He loves Cocoa Melon, which is this like character on YouTube that plays songs like the wheels on the bus. And so he's obsessed with school buses because of Cocomelon. So we had a hybrid like Cocomelon, school bus, choo-choo trains theme. And it was awesome. Like everyone had so much fun and I made him this cake, which I was like sending you pictures of. And I love, I don't bake a lot. Like I literally only bake once a year, usually for like a special occasion. So last year was his birthday and this this year, because I want him to like be able to enjoy a birthday cake and have it not have all kinds of weird stuff in it. So I made him Luca's birthday cake. The recipe's on my website if you want to check it out, but it's basically a layer of vanilla, a layer of chocolate and a layer of strawberry. This year I just did vanilla and chocolate with a vanilla frosting, everything sugar-free and gluten-free. This year, I ordered keto sugar-free sprinkles that I found on Amazon. So I covered the whole cake around the sides in the sprinkles. And then I had these cake toppers of like a little choo-choo train (laughs) and a big two that was dipped in gold. It was so cute. And we brought the cake out like... He was just like mesmerized by it. <laughs> and last year, when he had a bite of it, he clapped. It was the first time he ever clapped, so he was like so excited. It was really cute because like we were all singing him "Happy Birthday," and he was just like, "What is happening right
0: now?" <laughs> like, oh my goodness! How do you respond to eating it?
1: Yeah, he liked it a lot. And the the cool thing is, is like the people who were here half of them are into actually keto and low carb. They're kind of the only people in my family that are that do like low carb and, and not full keto, but like low carb, paleo, really big into paleo, low carb. And so like they totally appreciate it, you know, having like a gluten-free, sugar-free cake. The other half are like not at all, but they all enjoyed it. Like everyone thought the cake was delicious. I know they weren't just saying it, like they all really enjoyed it. So it's fun when you can make stuff that's like healthy, And the cool thing about the sprinkles, they were sugar-free. And instead of having all these dyes in it, they colored the sprinkles with turmeric with, I think, a couple of other... I've seen those sprinkles. Yeah. It was like turmeric paprika and something else. And so they were really colorful, but they weren't like neon you know like bright neon because of using artificial dyes so you know even if you're not doing keto or sugar free like if you're serving something to your kids you want it to have like all natural ingredients so it's fun that we could all enjoy something like a healthy ish like treat and yeah it was really fun to make and everyone really enjoyed it i think you can actually cuz i have gone down the sprinkle rabbit hole that's why i was sending you pictures is like i know she loves sprinkles too
0: and i've actually ordered i think the same ones that you have I recognize them I was like oh I have those wrinkles I've seen recipes though to make your own and I haven't done it like I know you can order dragon fruit powder which is neon pink and you can order there's like a blueberry powder that's like neon blue like I think if you
1: like actually wanted to make it like neon that'd be fun yeah and I know like I think is it a acerola powder is like bright pink and it's vitamin c yeah oh it's it's pink Yeah, it's bright pink, 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 like super pink. Oh my goodness. That's what I thought they were going to use. So when I saw like turmeric and and paprika, I was like, oh, wow, that's really, you know, interesting that they use that.
0: And then like chlorophyll is like neon green. We should make a sprinkle line.
1: Totally. I actually have a friend from growing up who started a sprinkles company and she sold it. Yeah, it was really cute. Like she had a really fun Instagram, you know, because of course, if you're doing an Instagram account for that, like it would just be really fun of like confetti and sparkles and all our favorite things. It's amazing. What flour
0: did you use in the
1: cake? We
0: can put a link to the recipe in the show notes.
1: Yeah. So the two, I just used two flours, which is like mostly almond flour and then one part coconut flour. Because coconut absorbs so well. And it's really mainly just those two for the flowers. And then there's like butter and vanilla. And it's like, it's very simple, but really delicious. <laughs> Which sweetener did you use? So I wanted to try allulose. I thought you might. Okay. Yeah. We've been talking about it. So I actually did a combination because I wanted to test allulose for my protein powder and just like see how I liked it and I hadn't really tested it or anything I'm like this is a perfect test. So for the cakes I used mostly allulose and a little bit of monk fruit and then for the icing I used powdered erythritol because I already had it in the powdered form like the confectioners form. Otherwise if I was home I would just put the granulated form of the allulose in the blender for 30 seconds, and it would make it into the, the super fine powder one. But for the icing, because you need the powdered one, I, I use that. And the allulose was good. And I think that everyone was surprised by how much it tasted like actual sugar, especially the people who don't eat keto or don't really like those kinds of sweeteners. Like at one point, even one of our guests was like, you know, it's probably better to just use like sugar or like a little bit less sugar than artificial sweeteners. And I was like, wait till you try this one. <laughs> so I think it tasted like very similar to sugar. That's awesome.
0: I really feel like allulose is like the big thing now and like we will continue to, it just seems to like, I don't think I've used it before, but just from everything that I read, people seem to say that it, you know, doesn't have weird funky aftertaste and tastes very similar to sugar. And then when we talked about it, we can put a link in the show notes to the episode where we talked about it extensively,
1: but the studies are really interesting on it. So potential health benefits. I think that's really interesting. The fact that it has potential health benefits as well. And also I think the thing with Europe was that you know, at first I was like, oh, I think it's not allowed yet in Europe, but it actually when I was looking into it more, it seems that it's just because there hasn't been enough research done on it yet. But some German scientists recently submitted some research studies that they did about ILOs. So it's possible now that they'll have enough research done on it that they will approve it there. So just side note for anyone who's in Europe listening. Awesome. Awesome. Are you actively formulating your protein powder right now? Yes. I actually just got the first sample today, like an hour ago from Scott. So it's so exciting. I know he sent me, you know, the sample to test and just kind of make sure that we're on the right track with the first flavor, which is going to be vanilla. Pretty much like after we're done podcasting, I'm going to make a protein shake and and try it out. And I smelled it and it smelled really good. So it's got stevia in it because that's what we've decided to use for now. And it's, yeah, it's vanilla flavored and it has this special formulation, which is unlike anything else, anything else that exists on the market in terms of protein to really optimize it for building lean mass in the most efficient way possible. So I'm really excited. It's really exciting to be making something that just doesn't exist really on the market yet. I am so excited for you. And that's that's so cool because there are so many protein powders on the
0: market. And it's so true though that I haven't seen any because you're basically you're tailoring which amino
1: acids are in it, right? Yes. Exactly. And I'll be sharing more and more on the exact formulation in the coming weeks. But yeah, there there is a lot of competition in the space. And I think that's kind of why I've always been drawn more to biotech, you know, because making something like the tone, like the breath ketone analyzer, it's something super unique. Whereas like a market, like protein powder is a lot more saturated until it became the right time because I really figured out and zoned in on like what kind of formulation would make it unique to anything else. That that part's super exciting.
0: And not just unique for the sake of being unique, but unique because it's what needs to be done in a way, you know, like nobody has done this and it's what you would want presumably to be using or will be using. So, oh, I'm so excited for you. Okay. So how can people get on your email list for updates for it?
1: Yes, thank you. So, I wanted to offer an amazing launch discount for anyone who is a part of this community or who listens over to the Optimal Protein podcast and to offer the biggest discount that'll ever be offered on Tone Protein and that is by signing up at toneprotein.com, you'll be added to the list and if you sign up with your name and email address, you'll receive an email where you can double opt in and You'll basically be the first to know when it's available to order and you will also get that exclusive launch discount if you are interested in checking it out. So yeah, hopefully in the next couple of months, it'll be out and available to order. Oh my goodness. So exciting. Scott and I were talking this morning about shipping products to Europe because I'm setting up a warehouse there and so that would potentially open it up to shipping other products at MD Logic to Europe too. So yeah. <laughs> could be exciting. Oh, that would be so exciting. <laughs> for yourself. And we we're also talking about Australia because Australia is a huge like wellness market and I have a warehouse set up there. So we could potentially start shipping out to new markets also for your supplements. That would be exciting,
0: especially with Australia. They are really hard to ship to. Like if I want to independently ship something to them, it, it's really hard with their customs And everything. Yes. To get stuff in there because I have tried. Yes. Awesome. Well, we will put links to all of that in the show notes. And again, the show notes will be at ifpodcast.com slash episode 327. So we haven't talked since I went to the biohacking conference.
1: I know. Tell me everything. I mean, you've given me some updates, but obviously we all want to know how it all went.
0: Yes. So, oh my goodness. This was my first conference. I mean, this was my, it was my first conference in this sphere. And as listeners know, unlike Vanessa, traveling is not my forte. So I was a little bit stressed about the whole concept, but it was, it was so amazing. I really, really highly recommend going to it next year. Next year it's in Dallas, but it's basically, so it's the next year will be the 10th annual biohacking conference it's Dave Asprey's conference whose side note will be coming on this show soon hopefully we're trying to lock him down but it was really exciting because it was the first time meeting all of these people I know through the podcast, and including guests who have been on this show in real life it was so weird like I got to meet Matt and Wade from Biooptimizers like they've been on the shows I feel like I just feel like I know them. They've been on the shows, I think five times total, so I, I met them. I met Katherine Arnston with Energy bits. I met oh, Dr. Patel. I did an episode on glutathione with him. Of course, I met <laughs> I met Dave Asprey, which was a very surreal mind blowing experience because I've been following him. I mean, basically him and Rob Wolf are the two people that really informed my I'm going to start crying with gratitude on my journey in this world. It's kind of like when I interviewed Rob and I almost started crying. It's just really surreal to, you know, be so affected by, so influenced by people for the better in health and wellness and everything that I'm doing today. And then to get to meet them in person is just really, you know, I'm really grateful for that. Why am I crying? Okay, so... I really highly recommend people attend. And also, I actually sprained my ankle
1: the (laughs) first day. Okay, I need to know what happened. This is the thing I wanted to ask you about because like, you kind of mentioned it and I was like, what happened?
0: Yeah, okay. So I went two days before it started. So the night before, I was just walking back to my hotel and I just stepped off of a curb and I... Like twisted it. Have you twisted an ankle before or sprained an ankle? I haven't. No, I haven't either. It's really bad. <laughs> so like, it's funny. Well, it's funny because um, it didn't hurt when it happened. Like I was fine, and I went to Whole Foods, and I was you know carrying gallons of water, and everything was fine. I was in high heels, and then I went to bed, and then I woke up in the middle of the night, and I. It was the worst pain I have ever felt. I had to like crawl on hands and knees to the bathroom. And then I was really stressed because I was like, because it was the, like I said, the night before the conference started. I was like, what do I do? Like, I can't, I can't go to the biohacking conference like this. I went back to bed. I I went to urgent care the next day and it wasn't broken. It was just sprained. But this was interesting and this could be a whole tangent. I don't ever, well, I don't want to say ever, I very rarely take pain medications. I mean, I try to stay away from pharmaceuticals as much as possible. And no judgment to pharmaceuticals, but you know they have a lot of side effects. So I, I don't take like pain medications is the point. I was in so much pain, and I was assuming they would prescribe me pain medications, and they, they would not. They were like not legally allowed to. I was just reflecting. And then I started I start crying in the urgent care. I was like, but I'm in so much pain so opioids because of everything that's happened historically in this country now it's really there's a lot of laws in place about prescribing them because of the opioid you know epidemic crisis that we've had so some people
1: could be like faking an injury to get them mm mm-hmm.
0: i was just reflecting on the the sad state of affairs with the pharmaceutical industry and in that a, the pain medication is being over prescribed in the first place and all the problems with addiction. Like that's just such a problem. and such an issue. But then when you actually are like, you do need it. I like, couldn't get it. I was, call- I was like calling, I was like, who can I call? I called my dentist, <laughs> but he didn't answer. I called my psychologist friend, but he wasn't able to prescribe. So yeah. But interestingly, I don't even normally take Advil. So, I took Advil and I had no pain. So yeah, and I got crutches and I learned a new skill of using crutches.
1: That's so crazy this happened the night before the conference started.
0: I know. And then and and then this was a huge step for me personally. So that whole day was basically gone. I was at urgent care, but I had to go get my media pass for the conference and it closed at 5. So I was like I'll just like sneak it. I had like no makeup on. I was in crutches. Like <laughs> and I have a lot of insecurities surrounding my physical presentation. So I was like I'll just like sneak in, like grab my media pass and leave. But of course I was running into everybody. So by that point I was just like okay, I'll just I'll just be here like this, which was a big step for me. My therapist is proud. <laughs> it's funny, actually the first listener that walked up to me, recognized me like that and i was i was shocked i was like you recognize me like without like i don't look like my instagram right now but oh yeah and then just as, as a side note i barely was at the whole first day was mostly lost so I, and i didn't go to everything that i could have but even then so many listeners came up to me and it was so exciting and it was so nice to connect with people like listeners from the show in real life and see how how the content is resonating and and, you know and how they're into this stuff now from you know listening to the show so so friends go next year I will definitely be there in Dallas and please come up to me oh because multiple people told me they were nervous about coming up please come up to me and say hi and we can be friends I will have a discount code for the conference I don't have it yet but the link is MelanieAvalon.com slash conference, So you can go ahead and go there and see all the details about next year. And then once I have the code, I will share it. And...
1: Hi, friends. This episode is brought to you in part by AG1. Some of our listeners have really had wonderful experiences with AG1, and we wanted to highlight some of them on the show. Mary Jane says, I feel better on days when I open up with a scoop of AG1 and a scoop of Cynthia's creatine powder in some Anna-Lemma water. I find that I make better slash healthier food choices after and when I've experimented with a CGM or continuous glucose monitor, my blood sugar is more stable overnight. That said, we are all individuals, so what works for me might not be your jam. My husband originally got a G1, but once I added creatine and analemma, it was a game changer for me, really. I've noticed increased energy, less brain fog, and more REM and deep sleep, too. If you would like to take ownership of your health, today is a good time to start. Athletic Greens is giving you a free one-year supply of vitamin D— and 5 free travel packs with your first purchase. To get this incredible offer, just go to drinkag1.com/ifpodcast and once again, the link is drinkag1.com/ifpodcast and check it out. Now, back to our
0: show. Yeah, and then just lastly though, I didn't even get to go to the I haven't talked to you about the content of it. So there's so many speakers including so many guests I've had on the show. So like speakers for my show, like Marcola was there, Max Lugavere, all the Optimizers guys, of course, Dave Asprey, tons of people. And then there's this expo with all of these brands, like a hundred brands. They have their supplements and their things and there's stuff you can try. And it's so cool. It's like going to like a Disney world mall, but biohacking highly recommend. Well, next year, any chance we'll be in Dallas?
1: Who knows, yeah, I mean, maybe at that point it would be so much fun, just hearing you talk about it, it reminds me so much of the fun that I would have at Ketocon when I went there, and it was just so amazing, like you said, to get to meet so many people in person or when I went on my book tour, just like people showing up for you and like wanting to you know meet you in person is just like. Really, like, it's just so humbling. Like, you really want to come meet me? Like, it's just such an amazing feeling, and just getting to like hug people and, you know, take photos together and talk about, like, you know, what it is, like you said, that resonated with them. Or that's what makes all of this so meaningful and special and worthwhile. Like, that, you know, we get to do what we love. We get, you know to podcast and also like share information in different platforms but it's also that it's so meaningful because people will come up to you and be like you know you inspired me to like start a podcast or to start this or to change my approach to protein or change my fasting or whatever and it, and it did this for me and I feel so good and you're like oh my gosh like i just wanted to share what made me happy and feel good but then you get like so excited when you genuinely hear from people that it it impacted them in some way too. And it it just makes it all so worthwhile.
0: It is so true. Yeah. I think next year, maybe I'll try to organize like a meetup or something for, Oh, that would
1: be so fun for the listeners. That would be really, really fun. That's such a great idea. Didn't Jen do like some cruise or something? Yeah. They
0: did like a delay. Don't deny cruise. I don't know how many times they did it, They did it at least once. So it's awesome. And then just one really quick, I know it's a long intro, but one really quick announcement. I am getting closer and closer to releasing my EMF blocking product line today. I hopefully, I think I got the final packaging. I love designing packaging. Do you like designing packaging? The absolute favorite part of the process for me. It is so fun. I have to send you what I am designing right now because it's so beautiful. (laughs) So the IARC, which is the International Agency for Research on Cancer, they classify EMFs as group 2B, which means possibly carcinogenic to humans. So basically there's ample evidence to suggest that EMFs are quite likely carcinogenic to humans. And we see this in a lot of studies. They basically affect the calcium channels in our cells I just think it's a major issue with all of our Bluetooth and our Wi-Fi and, and friends. I like shudder when I see people putting their phones up to their ears. Don't do that. There's a lot of interesting studies on like men having phones in their pockets and how it affects sperm quality and also the potential for women keeping phones in their bras, for example, and how it might affect breast cancer. So in any case, I am creating a line of EMF-free slash EMF-blocking products. I am partnering with R. Blank, who has been on the Melanie Avalon Biohacking Podcast. So the brand is going to be Avalon X, powered by SYB. His brand is Shield Your Body. And we are... So there's a lot of things I want to make, but we are launching with tubes headphones. So again, when it comes to your phone, friends, please, please don't use Bluetooth AirPods. Please, I'm begging you. You know, speakerphone is great and corded earphones like you might get from Apple, but even those release some EMF. So that's why we're launching with EMF-free tubes, And they're going to come in pink and black. I'm really excited about it. So you can get on my email list to get all of the launch specials, all the details, the announcements that's at, for right now, I have it at melanieavalon.com slash EMF email list. I do have a website for it, but I haven't set it up yet. So I think that's all the things. Should we jump into some questions for today?
1: Yes, I would absolutely love to. Oh, and we have new artwork. <laughs> oh, Yes. <laughs> happy new artwork day Yay! i've been waiting and so excited for this we
0: have been working on this for months listeners the attention to detail is a little bit intense like we kept we kept getting drafts back and i'd be like i think the heel needs to be adjusted to properly represent our heights our artist Barbara was amazing and all the adjustments because we asked for a lot of them i think it looks really amazing what do you think
1: I absolutely love it. And I love that you hired an actual artist, you know, to do it because I always found the artwork on the podcast to be really interesting and unique. And I can see why now, because you were working with an actual like print artist and she was painting this. Like, I think it's important for people to know, like she wasn't just creating like a caricature or something in paint. Like, this is legit. Like she was painting this. And then when she had to do revisions, she would like put these overlays on top. And I mean, it's, that's why it took so long. It wasn't just because we were being specific, but also because it's like real art. Like, it's just incredible. Yeah. It's like actual art, like (laughs) actual.
0: Yeah. And I actually, I told you about how I know her, right? Did I tell you? No. Oh, okay. So when I published my book in stores, the original concept, they hired her for the original concept art. And it was, so my Melanie Avalon biohacking podcast, that logo, that was the original book cover for my book. And I loved it. And I was obsessed with it. And then we were actually going to go with it. And then when Barnes and Noble like signed on the book for one of their like features, Barnes and Noble was like, you have to change the cover. (laughs) So isn't that interesting? So we changed the cover, which I love the cover. Now I do, but I was so sad. I was like, I asked them, I was like, can I just buy the artwork from her because I want it for myself. And then that's when I started working with her. So she did the artwork actually originally for my biohacking podcast. I used to get art done for the each episode for the guests. So she did that. She did Cynthia and I's artwork and then she did you and me.
1: It's really amazing. Yeah. I'm really happy with how it turned out. And that funny story for listeners, Melanie knows this, but I was just looking over the artwork one night, I think it was a month ago or something like that. And my husband, Pete, walked in and he didn't know like what I was doing or anything. And he glanced over at my phone and he was like, oh, look, it's you. And I was like do you really think it's me? And he's like, yeah, it's you. And I'm like, that's amazing. Like he had no idea what it was or like, I could have just been looking at like a cartoon or a different podcast or anything, but he right away recognized it. So this artist, last thing I'll say on it, she took like multiple photos of both of us and then created the, you know, the art based on like our likeness from these actual like photographs. So I I just thought it was so cool that he walked in and and said that. And my husband's very direct. He never says anything he doesn't mean. (laughs) So I was like, wow, that's so neat that you really think so. I love that story. That makes me so happy.
0: So awesome.
1: All right. Enough, enough. Okay.
0: (laughs) Okay. So would you like to read the first question?
1: Yes. So our first question is from Kimberly And the question comes to us on Facebook. And the question is, what is the difference between OMAD, or one meal a day, and binge eating? My doctor seems to think that these are synonymous, and I can't disagree more. Okay. I am very excited about this question. And before that,
0: like Vanessa said, this is from Facebook. So you can submit questions to the show questions at ifpodcast.com or on ifpodcast.com I also am gonna start asking for questions more on Facebook because when I did that we got so many questions Vanessa and I were talking about it like it feels very fresh getting them like right away so definitely join my Facebook group IF biohackers I'm gonna start asking more for questions in there so that if you want to get your question kind of put to the front of the line that might be a good way to make that possibly happen so Okay. I'm really excited to talk about this because I think there is, and I'll be curious your thoughts on this, Vanessa. I just feel like there's so much with intermittent fasting. There's a lot of skepticism and confusion as far as the mindset behind it and people thinking that it is disordered eating. So I actually really wanted to go look at the DSM criteria for binge eating we can just go through it and we can see, is it binge eating? And then I went down the rabbit hole after doing that because it's very interesting to me. So shall we go through the the criteria together?
1: Yes, that sounds perfect.
0: Okay, so in order to qualify as binge eating disorder, oh, and a little bit of a backstory. So binge eating was actually recognized as a clinical condition as early as 1959 but it did not appear in the DSM until May, 2013. So that's when they came up with this criteria and there are five criteria criterion. I learned a new word that must be met. So the first one is there has to be recurrent episodes of binge eating. And in order to qualify as binge eating, it has to be two things. One, it has to be eating In a discrete period of time, for example, within any two-hour period, an amount of food that is definitely larger than most people would eat in a similar period of time under similar circumstances. Okay, I want to like zone in on that. But the number two is the sense of lack of control over eating during the episode. For example, a feeling that one cannot stop eating or control what or how much one is eating. So the first criteria, and then I, I found this really interesting review of this. It was kind of looking at the criteria, you know, what does it mean? What can we learn from it? Should it be updated? That article is a journal article, and it's called Characteristics of Binge Eating Disorder in Relation to Diagnostic Criteria. We'll put a link to it in the show notes. It was actually calling out some of the issues with this first statement, which is it's very subjective. <laughs> so, so basically says an amount of food that is definitely larger than most people would eat in a similar period of time under similar circumstances. Like that is not very definitive, even though it has the word definitely in it. So when we look at fasting, and she was asking about one meal a day, right, specifically?
1: Yes, the difference between one meal a day and binge eating.
0: And binge eating. So I would assume, okay, with one meal a day, what do you think most, like time-wise, most people are eating. And that would actually be a really good poll to do.
1: Like, do you think it's like two
0: hours, three hours, four
1: hours for the intermittent fasting, like one meal a day? Yeah. From personal experience, when I would do one meal a day, it would usually be like a standard meal within an hour. Okay. So you would have an entire, yeah, I think some people do
0: it. Like they do have an entire meal in a short amount of time. Like for me, I, 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 and this is goes back to the great one meal a day debate that Jen and I used to have because I eat, you know, over like four or five hours. Like it's a very long one meal a day. But let's say it's like, let's say two hours, for example. So especially since that's the criteria that they give. So you could look at this two ways. You could say people doing one meal a day in two hours that they are eating larger than what most people would eat in a similar period of time under similar circumstances. I think, okay, (laughs) I think if you stopped at a similar period of time, that would be true for a lot of people because when you're doing one meal a day, you are eating, you know, you're getting your entire amount's worth of calories in this small meal, which would be more than most people. But I think the key here is under similar circumstances. So if we take into account that the circumstances are one meal a day as practiced for intermittent fasting, where you need to get all of your calories in that one meal, then I think most people doing one meal a day They're not eating like a lot larger than people would eat in a similar period of time under similar circumstances, because the circumstances are one meal a day. How do you feel about that?
1: For me, I would say the thing that stands out for me is not so much the period of time. If we can maybe like go in a different direction with it a little bit, just in terms of my thoughts for me, it's when it says that the person, when I looked up the definition, it said that person feels a lack of control when they're having that that meal and i think like that is a big distinction. I mean there's lots of distinctions between one meal a day which to me is just a definition like of eating one meal a day versus binging which is associated with having an eating disorder or associated with disordered eating and feeling like there's no control like it's it's sort of a like a primal or like and i know you've done episodes with experts on on binge eating. I think I did one on my podcast years ago, but I know you had an author on with
0: Glenn. Yeah, yeah. Oh, wait. Okay. So, fun fact. So, Glenn is like one of my best friends in the entire world. He's one of the people I called when I was in the urgent care. He's the psychologist. I called Glenn. I was like, Glenn, can you prescribe me pain medications? <laughs> yeah. For listeners, he wrote a book, well, multiple books. He wrote Never Binge Again, which I highly recommend it. Not even just if you identify as binge eating, it's really about just that lack of control and feeling like you don't have control around your eating and that you're not, when you are feeling controlled by your eating, it's really amazing. He uses His whole philosophy uses this thing called the pig and you identify this voice in your head is not you as this pig and you talk to your pig and you just basically say no. And it sounds really simple to say that you just don't, but you basically are just like, no, like I'm not. I'm not listening to you right now. (laughs) So, um, sorry, that was a, that was a tangent. Yes.
1: Yeah. So for me, it's, it's the period of time seems, I don't know, ambiguous for me. It was the fact that it is in the definition of what binge eating is. And forgive me because I don't know a lot about it, but just looking at the definition that it is, you know, eating with a, a sense of not having any control and, you know, I I think that that's the big difference that stands out for me the most, and also obviously the association with with having disordered eating. And I think, you know, to just to classify one meal a day and the definition of that as as how people who do intermittent fasting approach it, and just say, well, there's some overlap, so that means they're the same thing, doesn't really <laughs> hold up for me. You know, the overlap being, like you said, the time period. You know, depending on how people do that, because it does seem to be like part of the, that definition, you know, when I, whenever I do like OMAD or one meal a day, especially since I changed my macros over the years and really healed my relationship with food, I always feel a sense of control because it's really hard to overeat protein. And I have to invoke, you know, the protein leverage concept by doctors, Robin Heimer and Simpson, these scientists who studied insects and primates and humans, on protein leverage. And they found that, you know, we as humans and animals and insects as well, tend to overeat energy calories when we don't get our protein needs met. And I think that when I look back at my younger self, when I maybe did have situations where I say I would do like a really restricted diet, you know, and then I would feel like I couldn't wait for the diet to be done. And then when the diet was done, I would over consume, like maybe at a meal, maybe that could be considered a binge feeling like at the time, maybe I didn't fully have control. And again, I don't know (laughs) much, I don't know that much about it, but I'm just thinking back to my, relating it back to my own experience. It was because I wasn't prioritizing protein. It was because I was doing vegetarian slash vegan, you know, diet at the time. And I was super, you know, under muscled and not getting my protein needs met. And that protein drive is so high that when I corrected you know, my protein intake and started prioritizing it, I found actually the opposite happens where it's very hard to overeat protein because protein is so extremely satiating on multiple levels in terms of the hormones that are released in the gastrointestinal tract in the brain or the end that communicate with the brain. And just in terms of the overall satiety signaling that you get when you consume the right amount of protein, I've always felt totally in control of all my meals, whether it's OMAD or whether I'm eating three times a day or whether I'm on holiday at a buffet. (laughs) I always feel like I get, as long as I get the protein in, that I feel satisfied and full. So, you know, I I think in terms of being classified as like binge eating, it would need to, you know, be assessed by a professional. If that's something, you know, that someone is experiencing, uh, you know, maybe something in this definition – resonates to have it, you know, professionally diagnosed or professionally assessed because I think disordered eating is very serious and, you know, is something that definitely needs to be addressed if it's a problem because it can cause a lot of distress for people. But that's the, the key part that stands out for me is the fact that there's a lack of control. And, you know, I think that that probably characterizes it the most of stories that I've heard from people You know, experiencing that kind of sensation of like they just can't feel satiated. There's like, it's like this feeling of like being a bottomless pit where, you know, just no amount is enough kind of thing. So that's, that's kind of what stands out for me the most. I could not agree more. So that second criteria B for criteria one, which is the
0: sense of lack of control over eating during the episode, feeling that one cannot stop eating or control what or how much one is eating. I echo back everything that you were saying, there's such a different feeling between feeling this need to just keep eating. And and sometimes it's satiety. And, and I know people have all different experiences of it, but I think for a lot of people, it's just it's like the dopamine hit that you keep getting. And so it's not even like, like some people might even feel full, but they just have to keep eating and they feel like they have no control over it compared to when people are in a, a one meal a day pattern, intermittent fasting, getting the protein they need, getting the nutrients they need, and it's working for them and their body. I mean, I think a lot of people feel completely in control. I do just love that nuance of the first one about eating larger than most people would in a similar period of time under similar circumstances. That definition is assuming that you're comparing a one meal a day situation to a normal dinner, which would not be the same circumstance. <laughs> you would need to compare like a one meal a day to a one meal a day. And are you eating, you know, definitely larger than other one meal a dayers? I guess that's the way that it would
1: be looked at. It's a really good point. It's a really good point. The context of it. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So that's criteria one. Criteria two is binge eating episodes. You have to have three or more of of five different things. So it's eating much more rapidly than normal. So I guess you can look at yourself when you're eating that. Two, eating until feeling uncomfortably full. This would be really interesting polling information to see if most people who do one meal a day, if they feel uncomfortably full or not. Like I, I don't when I do my one meal a day. Yeah, me neither. I feel satisfied. C, eating large amounts of food when not feeling physically hungry. Oh, I'm always hungry for my (laughs) one meal a day. Eating alone because of being embarrassed by how much one is eating. So interestingly, I do get embarrassed by still all of these years later. I do get embarrassed by the idea or, or like how much I'm eating. I guess it depends on the context, but... Even when I go to dinners, though, I'll sometimes get like double entrees, which is
1: fine. I feel like sometimes I have the issue, which is like I'm such a slow eater because I like to chew everything a lot. (laughs) It really helps with digestion. And I'm a really slow eater. And sometimes I'll feel subconscious because I feel like everyone around me eats fast and then... I'm like, especially right now, like we're visiting families of lots of experiences, like eating with lots of groups of people. And I feel like everyone is like done really fast and I'm just like slowly (laughs) like making my way through chewing everything, you know, and I'm like, I'm still eating like that. Sometimes I'll get self-conscious about that, but yeah, if anything, I'm the opposite. Like I'm I'm eating at a slower rate than everyone else.
0: I'm the same. We would do so well together. At a restaurant. And then, you know, I told you like, I get the, I'll get like sashimi dessert, like savory desserts at restaurants.
1: Oh, same. I like, so you, you do do that in Europe. They have a lot of like cheese for dessert. So like, that's always a great option. Like a nice, if you still feel like having something, or sometimes I'll just, if we're at a restaurant, I'll just be like, like last night, Pete and I had a date night and they had all these, you know, desserts on the menu. I was like, I'll just have dessert when I get home. So I, I usually make like some yogurt kind of dessert for myself when I get home or I'll have like a piece or two of, of Lily's dark chocolate or something like that. And that that's definitely like makes it feel like I'm still getting some kind of like, you know, sweet, like finished the meal, which, which is always nice. But yeah, if I'm, if I'm at the restaurant and everyone else is getting dessert, you know, I think it's nice to still like participate in that. And so if there is something savory, that's always what I'll get as well. So I remember my last birthday dinner when
0: I, that I went to with my family, everybody ordered dessert. And I literally, I literally ordered another entree for dessert. Like I had more fish and it was so exciting because it was the other entree
1: I wanted to try. That's really smart. I'm actually gonna, gonna bookmark that (laughs) mentally (laughs) to do something.
0: But then as a note, and I think I've said this before, but let the kitchen know ahead of time because they usually can't make a, it's hard for them to make another entree.
1: Yeah. You would need to do that.
0: Give them a heads up. So, and then the last criteria is feeling disgusted with oneself, depressed or guilty after overeating. And I think that goes into what we were talking about earlier about the mindset and the control and how you're feeling surrounding the food. So you have to meet both the first two criteria of the first thing we talked about, and you have to meet three of those. So that's the time eating it. So for criteria one, you have to have both these things. One, the discrete period of time eating more than most people would eat in the same circumstances in the same amount of time. And you have to have a lack of control over eating while doing so. So you have to have both of those. Then you have to have three of these five things, eating more rapidly than normal, eating until feeling uncomfortably full, eating large amounts of food when not hungry, eating alone because of being embarrassed by how much you're eating, and feeling disgusted with oneself depressed or very guilty you have you have to have 3 of those
1: yeah i mean if you at first glance maybe are someone who's just hearing about the concept of one meal a day maybe for the first time or something like that i could see how maybe you might go like oh like how does that compare to this which is like you know like you were saying How does this compare with, you know, this other concept of of binge eating? And is that something, you know, I think especially when people hear like, oh, you're only eating once a day, someone might jump to conclusions that it could be similar. Whereas when you really look at everything in terms of the definitions, I mean, when I see the comparison, my mind goes like, what? (laughs) Because, you know, I know that intermittent fasting is a pattern of eating, and, you know, we were really well informed on like what that means. But then you could see how someone might jump to conclusions if they don't have all the information. So I love that you really looked at all the different aspects of what characterizes that kind of, of style of binge eating, especially for, you know, for Kimberly to be able to you know, do the research yourself and maybe talk to her doctor about it if she wants to, and just say, well, this is actually what OMAD is. This is actually what binge eating is. And this is how they're different. Like, this is how they're not the same.
0: Exactly. And there's actually going to be a twist ending to this because we're not even, we're not even done
1: yet. Ooh, I love a twist. Hi, friends. Now, I know most of you are familiar with the power of protein to help us to recompose our bodies, get fitter and leaner by losing body fat and protecting and gaining muscle or lean body mass. Now, protein supplementation is one of the best ways to do it. It is scientifically validated to help us produce high-quality weight loss. Now, when it comes to weight loss, traditionally, a lot of people will do high-carb, low-calorie diets, and those have been shown to generate upwards of 40% lean body mass loss. Now, protecting your lean body mass and your muscle is crucial when you are wanting to lose some fat because during weight loss, you don't want the weight lost to be coming from your muscle. The more muscle you're able to retain, the more you retain, metabolically active tissue, which is going to keep your metabolic rate much higher and help you maintain the fat loss after you have achieved it. Now, one of the best ways, as I said, to do this is through using protein shakes. I've been on the lookout for years to find a high quality protein supplement that does not have fillers, dyes, artificial sweeteners, and using cheap protein concentrate, which can cause all kinds of issues like bloating and indigestion, I finally created a protein supplement that meets my standards, and it's something that I personally use every single day, and that is Tone Protein. Tone Protein not only is extremely clean and high quality with only whey protein isolate, no concentrates, no fillers, it is also scientifically formulated to optimize muscle protein synthesis, which is going to help you build lean body mass and muscle in the most efficient way possible. I am so incredibly excited about Tone Protein. Not only is it extremely high quality and optimized to help you recompose your body. It is also absolutely delicious. We've been having so much fun with all the different flavors that we are creating, and I just can't wait for you all to try it. Now, I wanted to create a special launch discount for all of you listeners so that you could check it out, try it out, see how you like it, and test it out for yourself. In order to receive that launch discount, you can head over to toneprotein.com and sign up with your name and email address. And you'll receive an email to double opt in to the list. And you'll be the first to know when Tone Protein is available to order. And you will also receive that exclusive launch discount. It is going to be the biggest discount that we ever offer on Tone Protein. So I really want all of you to be able to receive it. So be sure to go to toneprotein.com. Sign up with your name and email and you'll be double opted in to that list. And I am so excited for you all to try it out. Let me know what you think of it and let it help you to optimize your body recomposition goals, get that fat loss and maintain and protect your lean body mass while doing it.
0: I know. I know. So, okay. So criteria number three so we're not even done yet. So you have to have those two criteria number three you have to have marked distress regarding binge eating. So you have to be distressed about the whole concept. Number four, it has to occur on average at least two days a week for six months or one day a week for three months. Which, if people are doing one meal a day, they're, that's probably the one criteria out of all of this that people are meeting.
1: See now. I actually think it's a bit irresponsible <laughs> of a care provider to just like casually throw it out there. Yeah. Sorry, I'm getting so excited. I know. <laughs> yeah, based on everything that you presented, it's like it's like saying like, "Oh, maybe that person's bipolar because they like cut you off in traffic." It's like such a leap and it, you know, could cause a patient like Kimberly or, you know, distress. In terms of like something that makes no sense at all to what she's actually doing, and that it should actually, like I was saying earlier, should actually be diagnosed and assessed by an expert who knows the DSM five, who knows these categorizations, who would sit down with you and say, "Well, look, obviously this that's not what this is." <laughs> so you know, don't stress yourself out about it.
0: I'm so glad you said that. I think that's why I got so into this because I started reading it and I was like, "Oh, this is." like there needs to be education surrounding this. And I think we just so casually throw around labels today, like labeling people with disorders and it doesn't speak to the whole person. And um, I think it can be very damaging. So.
1: Yeah. It's almost feels sometimes like a lot of terms from therapy have sort of like made their way into our language in a new way where people use like terms that, typically would have just been reserved for people who are like experts or clinicians or psychiatrists who now people are just using these terms very casually. And I think it does have a harmful effect, you know, when like someone throws out, like I hear all the time people say, well, that's gaslighting, that's narcissism. And these terms have actual definitions to them. They need to be, you know, diagnosed by a professional and to just casually throw them around I think it can, yeah, it can cause damage.
0: I could not agree more. I'm actually prepping right now to interview. Have you interviewed Dr. Caroline Leaf?
1: No, but I feel like I heard of her book maybe.
0: Yeah, she has so many books. She's incredible. She's a cognitive neuroscientist. And her new book coming out is called How to Help Your Child Clean Up Their Mental Mess. It's really wonderful. But she actually has a chapter on the overdiagnosis of ADHD. The stats on it are shocking. Like, I wish I had them in front of me, but... Basically, there's a only really small percentage that we think probably actually do have ADHD, but the percentages that are diagnosed are so high. And she also talks about how the DSM criteria is determined, especially for something like ADHD. There's not really a lot of science behind it. Like, it's very subjective. So, yeah, that's a tangent. So, here comes, are you ready for the twist ending? Yeah. So, criteria number five. The binge eating is not associated, not associated. With the regular use of inappropriate compensatory behavior, such as purging, fasting, excessive exercise, and does not occur exclusively during the course of anorexia nervosa or bulimia nervosa. The caveat is that they're calling it inappropriate, so maybe it doesn't exactly relate. But basically, if you're fasting, it's not binge eating. If you're considering the fasting inappropriate, which you could argue, we could argue that fasting is part of your daily lifestyle, so maybe this criteria would fit. But my takeaway, so if you're making the case that one meal a day is disordered eating in its approach and it's binging, then you would be assuming probably that the fasting is an appropriate compensatory behavior as well. I think you would make that association if you're making that assumption about the binge eating, which means it's not binge eating. It's actually bulimia, which is a whole nother set of criteria.
1: Isn't that interesting? Wow. Yeah. I didn't think about that aspect at all.
0: The only way it would still be binge eating would be if you think the binging is inappropriate, but the fasting is appropriate. So if you... Saw it that way you're like, Oh, the fasting's fine, but they 're binging, then you could say it 's binging, but if you 're saying they 're binging and the fasting is compensating for that it 's not binging it's It would be bulimia, probably bulimia because bulimia actually requires additional criteria
1: isn't that crazy yeah i i i mean there's just so much to learn i i don't know a lot about disordered eating, and i yeah i'm learning a lot from from this episode and i think it's interesting that yeah they definitely have different definitions and classifications and i just think that going back again to people throwing terms around too loosely or easily casually i see that all the time with any kind of approach like that i consider to be healthy lifestyle approach or intervention like with keto you know it's like ketoacidosis which is like has absolutely nothing to do with ketogenesis, but because ketosis is a shortened term for ketogenesis and sounds like ketoacidosis, which is a condition that only type 1 diabetics experience for the most part when they're having, you know, massive dehydration issues and, you know, extremely high uncontrolled ketones and extremely high blood, blood glucose. And, you know, several years ago, although it's Thankfully, it's changed now through education, (laughs) which we were talking about, the importance of education. Thankfully, people now recognize, especially physicians, that those are two separate things. I love physicians. Some of my best friends are physicians. So many of my friends are doctors, and I respect and admire them so much. But there was a time, maybe like six, seven years ago, where a lot of physicians would just say, oh, keto, you know, don't do that. That's ketoacidosis. Like that's the lack of education and understanding that there, there was. So that's kind of what it reminds me of a little bit is just like, oh, fasting or intermittent fasting. Like that's, that's an eating disorder. Like these kinds of things are thrown around really casually without actually looking at what the definitions of each are. (laughs) And again, it's really important that we educate, you know, everyone on like what these things actually mean and the distinctions, you know, between them. I think that's a brilliant analogy and so true and I that's bothered me as well so
0: much. It's so frustrating when you especially when you see it happen and you're just like, "Oh my goodness." And it's less now, like you said, it used to be a little bit worse. It still happens. And it, so people are curious for bulimia, it's pretty similar. You have to have recurrent episodes of binge eating just by the the first two criteria that we talked about, so the discrete period of time and the lack of control. And then you have to have compensatory behavior that's inappropriate. So that's where the fasting comes in. But vomiting, laxatives, diuretics, exercise, and then has to occur on average at least once a week for three months. And then here's the big criteria that's that's different for bulimia versus binge eating, or one of them, is you have to be unduly influenced by body shape and weight. And it also cannot occur while – so the binging and purging cannot happen – while you're if you have anorexia. so it's it's like really, <laughs> like you said, and uh, I sound like a broken record, but I, I really do think it's irresponsible for people, especially doctors, to throw around these labels without looking at what the actual criteria is. And then I'll just throw on just some very last quick other things that go beyond the DSM for for binge eating. So interestingly, so there's actually studies that indicate that, binge eating is probably heritable. So it clusters in families independent of obesity and families with a history of binge eating are at a greater risk of obesity. I don't think we would say that one meal a day is heritable. (laughs) I think people make the decision to do it independent of their genetics or their family history. And then binge eating is highly associated with psychiatric and medical comorbidities, functional disability, and impaired quality of life. So when people engage in this behavior, it really negatively can affect their life. They've even done studies where, pe- where it affected all criteria for negative quality of life. Compared to fasting, I feel like people do one meal a day and it changes their life for the better. That's a big, a big difference
1: there. Megan Ramos and I just had a really in- interesting discussion on my most recent interview with her on the Optimal Protein Podcast because she just came out with her new book, all about intermittent fasting for women and that was one of the topics that we really talked about was like you know what is the messaging that you want to get out there with your work and your book and and it's basically that like women get such bad messaging about like how we're all doomed to basically just get like uglier and fatter as we get older and she's like no like you can be empowered you can control your metabolic health and your waistline, and there are tools out there that you can use. And these tools are not you know, the same thing as having problematic or disordered eating patterns. Like, They're not the same thing, and it's, it's weird that they're often lumped together because there's some maybe association with the word fasting. But she really helps clarify it in her book. I highly recommend her book as, as a resource for anyone who's interested in that. But I also highly recommend that anyone who... Listening to the definitions and the criteria that you presented so eloquently, if any of those really resonated for you, you know, I would definitely recommend speaking to a clinician, someone who can assess you, especially if you're feeling distressed, because that was one of the, you know, uh, criteria. If if any of this resonates with you, if you f- if it feels familiar to you, if you think you may be experiencing some of it and you are feeling distressed, you know, definitely seek professional help because you know eating disorders are very serious things and you know I think that it's very important to to reach out either to a friend or to someone who can you know give you a professional assessment if it's something that causing is causing you any kind of distress and I think that's definitely something that we we both want to underline. I am so, so glad you ended with that.
0: Yes. the purpose with this was twofold one, to dismantle some of the myths about labeling people, who are doing fasting in a healthy way for themselves mentally and physically, you know, putting some clarity that that is not binge eating for them. But then on the flip side, people who are experiencing these issues with eating disorders or binge eating and might be, you know, hiding that with fasting or fasting might be exacerbating that, you know, hopefully this is helpful for them to, to find a, a mental health practitioner to work with for that. So Awesome. Well, this has been absolutely wonderful. A few things for listeners before we go. If you would like to submit your own questions for the show, you can directly email questions at iFPodcast.com, or you can go to iappodcast.com and submit questions there or join our Facebook group or my Facebook group, my Facebook group, which is IF Biohackers. I'm going to start asking more for questions in that group. So look for the posts about that. Oh, and you can just post questions in that group as well if you like. The show notes for today's episode will be at ifpodcast.com slash episode 327. We talked about a lot of things, so there will be lots of links and there will be a full transcript, which I know is very helpful. And then you can follow us on Instagram. We are Podcast. I am Melanie Avalon and Vanessa is ketogenic girl. I think that is all the things. Anything from you, Vanessa, before we go?
1: Oh, I really enjoyed the question from Kimberly and the whole episode and getting to catch up with you. And I'm excited to record the next one with you.
0: Me too. I will talk to you next week. Okay.
1: Talk to you soon. Bye. Bye.
0: Thank you so much for listening to the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. Please remember, everything we discussed on this show does not constitute medical advice and no patient-doctor relationship is formed. If you enjoyed the show, please consider writing a review on iTunes. We couldn't do this without our amazing team. Administration by Sharon Merriman. Editing by Podcast Doctors. Show notes and artwork by Brianna Joyner. Transcripts by Speech Docs. And original theme composed by Leland Cox and recomposed by Steve Saunders.
1: See you next week.